The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hey, it's Mooney from the Mooniverse, and welcome to the Step Into Your Spiritual Spotlight podcast. I've taken the very best of what I've learned over the last decade of working in the spiritual industry, and now I'm bringing all the teachings, all the tools, all the resources, and all the stories to you in this podcast, where every week you'll meet a new spiritual entrepreneur who's out there doing what they love. They could be just starting out or finding big success, but I want you to connect to the stories and feel connected to the journey. I'll see you in the podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Step Into Your Spiritual Spotlight. Of course, this is Mooney, and I'm here sharing stories along the route and the road and the path to becoming a spiritual entrepreneur. And this week, we're joined by the one and only Jennifer Love. Hello. Hello, Jennifer. (laughs) Nice to see you again. Jennifer and I go way back. When did we first meet? It's been years now. Yeah, it's been a few years. Yeah. As I was trying to figure myself out, I think we connected early on, and then it's just kind of grown from there. But Jennifer, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do and what's going on. So I am a passionate, authentic, intuitive who uses divine guidance to help people love themselves and live more fully in their bodies. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, tell explain to everybody what that yeah. means. How do you work so- Yeah. So mostly I'm an angel guide. I help people talk to their guardian angels, but in a more embodied way, I actually teach uh, feminine embodiment practices. So a lot of my spiritual teaching is around loving yourself and loving your body through feminine movement. So um, a lot of that um, self-love and healing comes through embodiment and feminine movement practices. So it's really a whole body spiritual practice because I feel that a lot of our self-love and self-worth issues are due to body love and body image. At least that has been my spiritual journey personally. And so I find that happens for a lot of people and especially women. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not telling anybody anything that they don't know, but in our society, we're very difficult on women, young girls, our bodies are constantly criticized, beginning at birth, and (laughs) it never ends. And men too, you know, we're constantly shamed. Uh, It started, you know, 20 years ago in magazines, but now it's on social media, we're constantly photoshopping and presenting these images of ourselves that aren't, aren't really real. So people have to feel like they live, they need to live up to this standard, this impossible standard of beauty and strength and fitness or whatever. And 
we all really need to just take a step back and love ourselves the, exactly the way that we are. This is like at the core center of everything I believe about why some of the parts of the world are the way that they are right now. I've always wondered, I've always asked people, this is like, of all the religions you've experienced, of all the ways of thought, like what's the one rule that stuck with you? And for me, the answer has always been the golden rules, like treat other people how you would want to be treated, right? Do unto yeah. others, however, whatever yeah. the version of it is. The problem is that no one talks about is that if you are treating yourself like trash, if you are right. criticizing yourself, right. if you are thinking hateful, awful, terrible thoughts about yourself, it is what would explain why so many people are out there thinking that it's totally okay to say these awful things and do these awful things to other people. That's and I know it oversimplifies a lot of nuances, but mm -hmm. it's kind of how I feel about organized religion in general, but how I feel that they tried really hard to set us up with a really great set of of like ways of doing things, but they didn't follow it up with, but it all starts here, or at least not right. the way that I absorbed, you know, in my very limited Catholic grade school in indoctrination into this line of thinking. Right. Um, what do you encounter the most when you're working with people? Like what's at that, or is there like a series of thoughts and beliefs that a lot of people seem to be carrying with them that you keep bumping into? Yeah. So a lot of my clients and a lot of my practice is around love and relationships because people come to me because they're having issues in their love lives. They, you know, I'm having problems in my relationship. I'm having problems finding love. I'm having problems, you know, even in dating or whatever that is. And the biggest problem that I find is not that, you know, oh, you know, my boyfriend's cheating on me or I'm having problems in dating or whatever. It's really about the relationship the person has with themselves. It's awareness. It's really awareness um, because they're not coming to me because they're like, oh, I have a problem loving myself. <laughs> that's, not, that's not really the issue. It's more like, I just keep meeting the same type of guy over and over and over again. And I don't understand why, you know, I really like to stop this pattern of dating the same man constantly, but I don't understand why that's, you know, more of a self-examination issue, but it's really more of a self-love issue. Yeah. And this could be that blind spot moment for everyone who's listening or watching, you know, this could be that moment where it's like, oh, maybe this kind of amorphous thing that I've been struggling with could be explained away by the fact that I have a dysfunctional relationship with myself and that right. some element of some of what I believe about myself, what I'm worth, what I'm capable of, yeah. you know, how skilled I am, how valuable I am, like what my time is worth, like all of that. And, you know, forgive me because I do this with everything. I take it through the lens of spiritual entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So much of what stops all of us from being able to get to that next place or that next step is because we've got these kind of weird limiting beliefs that are that are stacked up around mm -hmm. traumas and stories and experiences that we've had. And that a lot of us, the blind spot moment, that aha moment that, that somebody like Jennifer could help bring to all of you is that you're like, oh, this thing that I've been holding on to is because I believed somewhere along the way that I was unlovable. I yeah. believed somewhere along the way that I didn't deserve to have love or that I didn't deserve to be loved in, in return for loving. So, you know, like I didn't believe any yeah. of these things. And so it's made me and it's shaped my view of how I can exist in this world that is explaining all of my stress and anxiety 
not allowing me to progress forward. And, you know, I think I can relate to this as you're talking about it, because I know that I've gone through this process. I've been there for a long time. I've been working on it. I've gone to Landmark. I've done Tony Robbins since I was there. You know, like I've exposed myself to all of these things to try to figure out, okay, well, what is it? And not all of them have really like clicked into, like, it was a collective thing. I'm not going to say one thing fixed it, but it was this constant seeking of like, well, why do I do this? Like, where does this come from? So I guess that's it. It's like, what are you finding is the source of some of this? Is it really as far back as childhood that this is, or do you think it's like karmically from another life thing sometimes? I think it can be both, um, but I find most of it is from your childhood programming. And I know that's been my own journey. And I think, I think that's why I'm so interested and passionate about helping people with their love lives and love and relationships, because it's been my own journey. And I feel like because I've experienced it, I understand what people are going through. And I feel like I have a lot to offer in terms of, you know, I'm exactly like you. This is exactly what I've done. This is exactly how I can help you because this is what I've experienced in my own journey. And I have no judgment around it because Mm -hmm. I'm exactly like you, you know, where I have been in the exact same place And I know what it feels like to feel like you have no self-worth, you have no self-esteem, you feel like, you know, the lowest, you know, flea on the dog on the ground in the puddle, like whatever, you know, you just feel like you aren't worth anything. And to come from that place where you feel like nothing to feel like, oh yeah, I totally accept and love myself. Is, is difficult. It's not something that happens overnight. No. And I completely can embrace and understand that. But, and, and like you said, it's not one lesson or one, you know, teacher or one spiritual guru or whatever. It's definitely a combination of things. And it's a combination of working on yourself and doing different things. And, you know, it's certainly not a one size fits all. And it's not, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, the answer to everyone or you're the answer to everyone. It's just, you know, some people you click with and some people you don't, but I definitely feel like I am here to help people and the people that resonate with me, I can help them for sure. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's things that formed along the way. And I want to kind of litmus test these with you. Yeah. You started it with one is that there's this belief sometimes when we have a a unique combination of traumas or a unique combination of setbacks or challenges that we're like totally alone, that we are like, we are damaged little snowflakes and there's no one else who could ever possibly understand how deeply we feel hurt. And I want to dispel that myth because yes, everybody's situation. It's not a contest. We're not, it's, right. it's not like my trauma is worse than yours, Yeah. but that trauma patterns and things that happen and reactions to trauma are not unique in the sense that the, the things we do to soothe ourselves, the things we tell ourselves in order to survive it, the survival mode techniques, a lot of those things are similar. So by thinking to yourself, well, I'm the only one who could ever relate to or understand the trauma I'm going through almost builds a wall between you and an opportunity to move beyond it because you're not allowing the that truth to be out there, which is people have gone through similar things. There are people who can help yeah. me get to a better place with it. All I need to do is share it and be vulnerable. 
Right. But because of the topic, sometimes your physical body, your love and relationships, sex, like all of that stuff, people get so shut down, clamped down, don't want to talk about it. What do you say to people who are having that challenge? What would you want to say to someone who's who can't even look beyond this thing because they're so locked in with this yeah. concept of like, I'm the only one who knows? <laughs> right. So it, it's very difficult to talk about trauma. And I'm not have to say I'm not a therapist. I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm not attempting to be one, but a lot of the things I find about trauma and traumatic memories is that it is stored in the body. There's a physical aspect to it. The way that we, the way that I teach my feminine movement practice is to move that trauma through the body, through breath and sound and movement. And you don't need to know what the trauma is. You don't have to explain it. You just have to move it through. So that's the part where I don't have to be a therapist. You know, you have to move it through your body though. So, and part of the training that I've had is being able to read people's bodies to help them move that trauma through their body. But sometimes even getting to that point is difficult for people. Moving emotion is difficult for people. If you've been so shut down that even identifying your emotion or being able to move your emotion is difficult, then that's going to take like little baby steps to get to that point. I know when I first started on this kind of spiritual path over 10 years ago, I couldn't even like name certain emotions that I was feeling. Like I couldn't tell you if it was anger or sadness or grief. Like I really couldn't articulate which one it was. I just know I felt something really strong and I was upset, but maybe I couldn't tell you if it was anger or sadness. (laughs) It was just like something. So it took me a while to even like be able to articulate different types of emotions and where they lived in my body. But that was a process in itself. And that was a really powerful thing to be able to do. And I know that might sound to some people like, well, who cares? Like, why why would you even care if you want to express sadness? I don't want to be sad. Like, who wants to be sad? I don't want to cry, right? I don't want to cry. Crying is bad. Crying is miserable. Who wants to cry, right? But you actually do want to cry. You want to be able to express sadness because once you move through the sadness, it's released, it's gone, and you don't have to live there anymore. So trapping the emotion and sucking it, I call it sucking it back, sucking it down. It's trapped there in your body. And you don't want that because then it leads to disease, dis-ease, right? Illness. You can like manifest cancer. Like it's, it's bad. Believe me, you don't want to be like sucking back bad emotions. You want to let it go, move it, let it out. If you have trouble like naming your different emotions, if you're one of these people that doesn't cry, um, if you have difficulty expressing anger, or if you have like blow ups and you don't really understand where it comes from or it just kind of creeps up on you, I encourage you to like start journaling or start trying to figure out like, why does it blow up on me? Where does it come from? 
these are kind of like the baby steps to take to try to start moving along the path of honoring yourself and like honoring your emotions. And that's kind of like how to get to the self-worth, the self-love. Honoring your emotions is kind of the first step, I would say. Well, and validating your emotions and validating Validating your experience. And, and I totally get what you're talking about. You're basically describing my story and and trying to, to, yeah, that's my story for sure. Yeah, Yeah. And how similar that our stories would line up and how many of all of our stories would line up in the process of doing this. I know that in the last like three years, especially because of how hard the pandemic was and how difficult it was to have everything change so rapidly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have everything be so uncertain. Certain things worked out really great for me in the pandemic. And I'm grateful that I had that experience. Other things left a lasting echo. I don't talk a lot about it, but like I became sober during the pandemic because my drinking got to a point where it was two or three bottles of wine every night. Uh, while I was on Zoom hanging out with friends in California that I couldn't be with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I reached a point where I was starting to buy it by the case. And I remember the second time that I picked up a case of wine, I was like, is this really who we want to be? There was this kind of moment of saying, like, like a conversation with myself, say, do we really want to be this? I noticed people in the grocery store and I was just like, hmm, that's super interesting. I started to, <laughs> I noticed people buying more and more and more. And I was like, hmm. Really like stocking up for the apocalypse or what's going <laughs> on there? Toilet paper. And it wasn't even from a judgment like that. Like I get what you're saying. It's like you just notice it more. I just I noticed start, it more, yeah. I didn't notice it. There was like one moment that I noticed it and I was like, oh, let's not do this anymore. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I'm, I'm working on my relationship with myself. And it kind of coincided at the tail end of the drinking is when I started therapy because I was like, okay. I don't know why I had that reaction. I don't understand. If you would ask me prior, like, hey, there's this thing that's going to happen where everybody has to stay home and you're going to be really uncertain about stuff, but you'll be okay. I don't know that I would have immediately said to you, yeah, I'm going to lean on drinking as a crutch to get (laughs) right in the way my brain works. I think if I had been like quizzed beforehand, like, hey, just out of curiosity, like, how do you think you do it? I probably would have said, I'm going to eat a lot of ice cream, which I did. I'm going to eat a lot of ice cream and I'm going to like catch up on Netflix and I'm going to stay in touch with my friends as best as I can. I just didn't have that, that moment of like, Oh, it's going to be a time to just drink my face off. Yeah. So I think in that it's that, and like a a couple of really great conversations with some friends who I really know and trust were able to say like, Hey, this thing that you're going through is beyond my pay grade as a friend is beyond my pay grade as someone who cares about you, like you need to go get professional help. And that's kind of where I draw the line around stuff that I'm working on too. It's like, hey, look, even though the work we're doing has unlocked this awareness, there's a lot more for you to pursue with a professional who can help you continue to unwind it while we continue working on this other thing. And so I think when you said, I'm not a therapist and I don't claim to be, I'm just unpacking that statement for everyone who's listening because more people need to draw that ethical line in the work that they're doing in spirituality. It's just good to be aware of it. There's a point and you might want to go and unpack that further, but it's like, you have to, again, respect the relationship with yourself, the -hmm. relationship with your client to say, that's so amazing that you had that breakthrough and you found that blind spot moment of clarity. Now I encourage you to work on that with a professional who can help you for sure. Uh, And I, and I'm the first person to say that I, I'm a regular at therapy. I have my own therapist. Uh, We, we talk frequently. I go like every other week. So yeah. And I encourage my clients to do the same. Yeah. yeah, When you have that moment, you know, yeah, you need to, you definitely need to unpack that with a professional who can 
help you. Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah. and it's, it's been amazing to be able to do both at the same time. I think that right. was it. It's like, everybody's on my team helping me like figure out the best way to move forward with it. Yeah. And I think, and I think the- there's a place for your spiritual healer and your therapist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I talk about, you know, back and forth, it comes up either way, which I enjoy that I can talk about both things in both arenas. Yeah. But I think the reason I, I was sharing that story is that part of what I'm starting to examine now at the tender age of 41 is all of these things, all of these things I've been dragging around for 41 years yeah. Um, in my life that have caused me to see the world or see situations or see, you know, things I have to do, whether it's personally or in my career and examine like, why am I having this reaction? So when you mentioned before, like the blow up, that was something that I used to have all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, why does that happen? Oh, okay. Through therapy and through all this work, I figured out that part of one of my earlier traumas in life is I felt like nobody listened to me and I didn't have a voice. So when I'm in a situation where I feel like nobody's listening to me and I don't have a voice, I turn into a literal three-year-old and I have a meltdown and then I, and then I, I, I get out of the situation. And later on, I'm like, I'm a grown adult. Like, why did that happen? And I think that it happened in so many different arenas of my life, even professionally, Mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, I got to do something about this. And that's what led to like a large kind of examination of a lot of things, whether it's coping, whether it's, uh, you know, releasing all of these things, but a lot of it was emotional and it's always unexpected. Yeah. But having been around these events as you and I have been, those emotional releases are what I think some people live for in these environments is that you really know when you're starting to get the tears, even if it's just brimming or you're just tearing up, to full-throated crying and rolling around on the floor, which I've seen both and everything in between, the person that comes out of that five minutes later is like a totally different person. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, even Very if it's true. just shaken something loose for them to be able to look at it in a different way, not totally cleared it or anything like that, but there's something about that emotional release that is so powerful. We'll be back with more right after this break. So. What have you seen or what is the most common thing that you've seen through this moving of energy and moving of trauma through the body? How does it normally express itself? In my practice, you know, that happens in the dance room. Mm-hmm. People are dancing. They express that emotion. We, we sometimes call that having a meltdown. You're having like that big emotional release of energy. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to know why, but it's like you said, you know, you can feel that that lightness, like, oh, like now I've had that, you know, release and I can kind of move on with my day. I can kind of leave all that junk or whatever it was in the container of the dance space. And I can go live my life. It's almost like therapy mm-hmm. for us in as students in the classroom to process that emotion, leave it there and go. So that's kind of the cathartic, I guess, release for the student is to be able to process that and move on. But the thing, the thing that's the best part about it is you don't have to go, hmm, why was I crying at, you know, at moment 318 during that dance today? (laughs) You know, you really don't have to know why. And it really doesn't matter. It's just like, oh, that trauma was released from my body. And now I can like go live my life and, yeah. you know, be lighter and happy. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I've noticed 
as a student and a teacher that uh, it's, it's kind of a really powerful movement to be able to do that. And that, you know, a lot of trauma is not necessarily, it could be childhood trauma, it could be sexual trauma, it could be like, I had a fight with my boss today. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be super serious, you know, trauma. It could just be like, oh, that guy cut me off on the freeway and I'm so, you know, mad. And then, oh, you know, I've now I've like worked that through and it's, you know, gone. So, yeah, it doesn't always have to be like a super serious um, something you would call trauma. You know, it might be like trauma light. <laughs> Right, like Radley calls capital T trauma versus lowercase. Thank you. Trauma. Yes, capital yeah. T trauma versus little trauma. Yeah, so you know, sure- and it's still important to be yes. able to release those little things. You don't want to hold on to that stress either, the road rage stress either, right? You want to get rid of that too. Yeah, and yelling and flipping people off isn't <laughs> maybe the best way. Not uh, a healthy guilty. way to do it. <laughs> I know, also guilty. <laughs> But, you know, one of the things that, that I've experienced when doing these things, like I, I love going to the float tank. I call it like my think tank or like oh, I just go I've in there. I've never done that my, before. It's so good. But one of the things that I learned is that if you do it once, it takes you a while to like get into that, whatever that state is, that flow state. You're in the tank. And if you've ever been curious about it, most cities and most places will have these float tanks. You just have to Google yeah. and see where the closest one is. I, I went to the one in Solana Beach, um, California. That was the first time I'd ever done it. And when I went, he said, hey, look, you know, we sell packages of three and I'm not going to try to sell it to you because I want you to like buy three. It's that you can't really get the full experience of the benefit of doing this until you've come the third time. Okay. So the first time you do it, it's all new and weird. And you're going to get there a little bit and it's going to take you a long time to turn your brain off and get the positive benefits of being in this in the float tank. The second time you come back, you're going to try to like force it. And it's, it's gonna, you're not going to get there because you're trying to like actively make yourself do it. And by the third time, you're going to pop, hop in the tank and then it's just going to happen. And th- after that, after the third one, you're set. And every time you pop in, it's going to take you a couple of seconds to acclimatize and you'll go right into that state. You'll start doing what you need to do and you'll like, an hour will go by before you even know it. And he was totally right. So I have to imagine with your classes one time is awesome just to get out of your normal pattern of, of action and thinking and doing and to turn your brain off and just move your body, right? Mm-hmm. The second time, you're probably going to have expectations going in. But what happens on that third? Have you noticed like there's where where in the sequence of people doing it? So, do you find the yeah, I, it takes more than three times, um, okay. unfortunately. Yeah, it's it, because the type of dancing that we do, it, it, it does involve pole fitness. So sometimes people are a little turned off by the pole dancing mm-hmm. aspect of it, but because it is a body led movement, um, most dance is choreography based where, you know, a, a teacher teaches you a series of movements and then you do it to the music five, six, seven, eight, everybody does it together. It's like a choreographed dance, right? The dance that I teach is body-led. So whereas I teach you a series of movements, it's more like learning French. I'm teaching Mm. you um, words and phrases that you eventually string into your own, you know, sentences and paragraphs. It takes a couple months in order to be able to learn the language so that you can create your own dance and put on a song for three minutes and just go. Mm -hmm. Because the point is brain immersion 
you turn your brain off and your body just goes. So it actually takes like three months for you to be able to do that body float where you turn your brain off and your body just goes. And so it's quite a investment, I would say, of your time to be able to do it the way that it's meant to be done um, because it requires a lot of patience. It's actually a very slow movement practice, which a lot of people find very difficult because in our fast-paced society, moving slow is very challenging. People are used to going to the gym, doing reps, getting fast results. And to move slow and to be in your body can be very difficult for a lot of people because the emotion lives there, the trauma lives there. And to be like, oh my gosh, I actually have to like be in my body and my brain is like, and it can be very traumatic to even try to practice this Yeah, for a lot of people who are yeah, and I was comfortable I was... in their own skin. Right. And that was exactly what I was going to ask is that, you know, for some, anyone who's listening to this, that has that thought right now, that intrusive thought of like, oh, my body would never be able to do that. Or I, I would look yes. ridiculous doing that, or I would never do that right. because of this and this, like, where's all that coming from? Do you find like, I know you were talking about this, like a little taboo mm-hmm. that it's, it's, yes, pole, yes. how did you say pole fitness? Pole fitness. Um, but you know, and I guess that, that word and, came up. And I have a of, lot of women say, oh, I, I'm not strong enough to do that. I couldn't possibly do that. I'm too fat to do that. I'm too big to do that. I don't have the right body to do that. Anybody can do it. I'm, I'm telling you, I have plus size women doing it. I have women who are 70 doing it. I, I myself am 48 years old. I started when I was 40 and now I'm an instructor. There's no body type that cannot do it. So that's just a myth I want to dispel immediately. Um, men, men also do it. It's not, it's not just for women, but it, I typically teach women. It's a feminine movement practice, but there's also men that choose to do it. It's more of a mind game Mm -hmm. because yeah, because it's just a societal thing that, oh, you know, only thin fit, you know, people should be moving their bodies in this way, (laughs) right? That's just a myth. It's not, everyone should be loving their bodies. It's not just for a certain body type. Um, that should be in love with their body. Curvy people should love their body. Tall people should love their body. Short people should love their body. Yeah, everyone. And I, I distinctly remember I didn't feel comfortable dancing until I was maybe in my like mid thirties. That there was a self conscious level of For like sure. I don't want to be seen like yeah. make, like looking goofy or making me. I was so like wrapped up and like oh looking a certain way. And then somewhere around thirty five, I just stopped caring. And I have to imagine that there's that moment where we all kind of can get, hopefully get to that moment where we just stop caring about what other people think because we can't control it. And, you know, we don't take it as an attack if someone's looking and laughing and high-fiving us or whatever. (laughs) I like, I just remember distinctly, I was at one wedding and I was so self-conscious, but I was still trying to like do the thing. And somebody came up and like was mirroring my dance moves, which now I understand is like a fun way to like share something on the dance floor that's physical you know, and have a good time. But at the time I took it as an attack and then I got yeah. mad at the dance floor. Yeah. So uh, dancing for me has been like an interesting journey. Yeah. I think for a lot, but why do you think that people, because I, I know as kids, we all danced around, like not all, but I mean, I remember dancing around and like doing like rolling. Kids up are very and, unself-conscious and they yeah. haven't been taught that, you know, 
you look ridiculous or like that. Right. And then, you know, well, and then it's unfortunate that that early on that looking ridiculous in some cases is not a good thing. Whereas I'm now I'm like, I would love to look ridiculous every day. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is, is there the humor difference in is this? like the, the feminine movement practice that I have been taught that, that I teach. We have the lights very low. Mm. Um, the lights are red. Um, the optimal way to practice is that there's no mirrors in the room. Um, so it's a very different type of dance class. Uh, most dance classes, you know, a, a ballet class or something like that, even yoga, there's mirrors wall to wall. The lights are very bright or there's sun shining in like major. So you could see everyone. You, you're very tightly packed in with a lot of people, right? There's someone standing very close to you. You know, you're in tight clothing or something like that everyone's looking at everyone else, you know, so you can, there's a lot of opportunities to be self-conscious in a normal dance class, but at my studio, similar anywhere that teaches the same type of movement that I teach, the lights are very dim and that's for a reason. It's so people don't feel as self-conscious. They're not worried about who's doing what next to me. Cause you can barely see the person. <laughs> and, um, it's, and it's so you feel less inhibited and worried about the cellulite on your thigh or whatever. And um, it's so you can get more into your, most people's eyes are closed because mm-hmm. that's how we practice. Um, so there's a lot of contributing factors to the movement practice that helps that feeling of being exposed and like that, oh gosh, I must look ridiculous or well, do I, and you're literally creating my outfit. <laughs> but you're creating a space so people can literally dance like nobody's watching. I mean, that's, that's the point. Such it's a, a container key. of safety and security. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea that that's what, because what you're describing essentially is like the float tank of dancing. Like you're in yes. there. I love that. The float tank yeah. of dancing. I'll yeah, call, it's, like I'll like it's, use it's that. an immersive <laughs> thing. So tell me more, I guess, about like that. In my mind, for some reason, I thought it was like a, a laughter, fun-filled experience, but it it probably could be that. But what you're describing seems like much more like internal, like focused, like turn, yeah. off, turn off your brain. I get it. But it's meditative. To, yeah. So I was going to ask that. How do you ground before you do this? Do you do a guided meditation? Is it like a, a thing you do? Is everyone like sitting in, in stillness before you get up and move? Or is it like yeah. the music's already there and you immerse? The, like, fir- what's the first 30 minutes are like a warm up on a yoga mat in almost complete darkness. (laughs) It's called a moving meditation. Mm. It's very slow. You know, I'm talking everybody through movement. It's not, I wouldn't say it's like a, a meditation in a traditional sense where I'm like talking you through like a, you know, grassy meadow or anything, but you know, we're, I'm guiding through movement. Um, that's very slow and controlled. I like that. Although I'm imagining you probably could at some point do a guided meditation that gets them to even walk up to the pole and like have the pole mean something. You know what I'm saying? Like there's got to be like somewhere in there, the visualization, because I would imagine like a very cool grounding. I've always wanted this. So if anyone out there with a float center is thinking about this, I would have loved to have had a float experience where you go in and there's like a track playing and it guides you through this whole visualization. And then you oh, get in the tank. There's a whole process that goes into it because it is fun to just immerse yourself in all of that. I just am so fascinated by the environment that you're creating and yeah. the fact that you have removed or you've tried your best to remove every obstacle 
to somebody being free to move their body without yeah. fear of judgment or criticism or anybody seeing it or having a thought about it. And so they can let that go. And then really, and I get what you're saying is like, rebuild that relationship with yourself, trust yourself, trust your body, trust your intuition. Yeah. And then see what the happens whole, when you're living from that place. The whole point is a self-love practice. Like it's really the whole point. Like I, it, the point is not the pole dancing. The point is not the pole. The point is not doing fancy pole tricks. That is so not the point. The whole point is like having a better relationship with your body and loving your whole package that you're in. Yeah. Um, and it's so hard to explain in like a five minute thing, like, oh, this is what I teach. You know, it's, it's pole dancing. It's really not. So it's very hard to like articulate to someone like, you know, come try a class. Like it's, it's so not what you're thinking it is. Um, because uh, it's, it's a, it's a self-love practice and that's why I'm so in love with it. That's why I do it myself every week. And I teach it every week because I feel like it's more like a mission on earth than mm. like, it's just a hobby. I, and one of the things that I've always loved about spirituality and this kind of quest, it's, it's almost like uh, the alchemist a little bit is like that you, you get to the end of it and then with the answer was always there, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you had the power all along Dorothy. Right. Like that yeah. Thing of, we all have this capacity and this ability within us. It's just a matter of kind of being vulnerable enough and being curious enough and having maybe even just a glimpse of what life could look like on the other side of releasing some of these things to get people to take that leap. So what I'm curious is, is anyone who's listening that is is saying, okay, well, I, I'd be willing to do this, or I'm interested in doing this, but I don't even know what the first step would be. What would you tell somebody would be the first step either to come work with you or find a class that's similar? Like, what's that first thing of being like, okay, I, I know I'm curious about it. What's the first thing I should do? Well, to reach out to me, it's thejenniferlove.com. Um, and, you know, I have information about my classes and um, working with me and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I did want to say that, you know, the journey to self-love or loving yourself and people always say, I don't know how to love myself and that kind of thing. You already love yourself. There's just blocks to it. So it's really about like uncovering the blocks to loving yourself wow. because I, I always like, you have to always go back to Louise Hay because it's always, it's always about Louise Hay. <laughs> um, she's the ultimate guru of loving yourself for anybody who's never heard of her or doesn't know who she is. She is, you know, the, the ultimate guide and guru about how to love yourself um, and her, you know, ultimate practice is mirror work, you know, you know, go looking in a mirror and just telling yourself, I love you. Mm -hmm. But, um, it all goes back to, um, having, you know, these childhood programming that somehow along the way you forgot, or there was just barriers put in front of you because there is no baby or infant alive that does not love themselves. <laughs> so if you just go back and think about it, way back, way back, way back. At some point you were totally in love with yourself Yeah. as a child. Like you did no wrong. You know, there was so much joy in childhood, in your childhood experience. And maybe it was earlier for some of us and others, you know, some people had very negative childhood experiences. And I understand that, but maybe as an infant, you know, 
you were just so in love with yourself, your, your little happy baby feet. And it was great. So yeah, it's just, it's remembering your love of yourself. It's not really about, I'm going to teach you how to love yourself because you already know, I'm just going to help you uncover the blocks or any teacher that you choose to work with is just going to help you uncover that love that you have for yourself. And that I think is a, is such a great way to like tie all of this together in a huge breakthrough blind spot moment for anyone out there who's listening that does feel like that I don't love myself or I need to learn how to love myself or that already the thought process of is like, I I don't have the capacity or I don't deserve it. It's already in you for Jennifer to have been able to pull this out for you to say, no, actually the love is always there. It just needs to be uncovered. You need to excavate some things out to, so that you can see it again, but it's still there is already such a huge breakthrough for a lot of people who are struggling with that. So Jennifer, thank you for that incredible message. And and I think for enlightening all of us about what, what is really at stake when we don't love ourselves or we're not aware of the love or we've forgotten that the love is there uh, and, and how it can affect so many different areas of our lives. And thank you for making this kind of, um, demystifying the process of what you do and trying to remove some of the stigma away from everyone, but women in particular, being able to have this experience and not feel judged or feel like there's something wrong with it uh, and make it a, a deeply powerful and effective experience. So I know we're going to find you at thejenniferlove.com. Yeah. Uh, where are you teaching classes? How can people get physically in front of you to take this, this experience? Um, yeah, I'm, I teach in person in Southern California. I also teach virtually online. Um, my feminine movement practice is bodystorystudio.com. I'm also teaching um, really soon a class on feminine archetypes. So that is really powerful um, in order to kind of understand how you can use, you know, these kind of psychological patterns in order to kind of manifest the things that you want in your life. And that's going to be an online course that's happening July 15th. Um, And you can find that on my website too. All my stuff's online. Um, I look forward to working with you, seeing you, all my social stuff's online too great to connect. Excellent. Everybody. I mean, this it's inspiring me to the next time I'm out on a dance floor to definitely like shake it a little <laughs> harder, quite frankly, because again, I'll, I'll give it this, this one kind of end cap. I remember I was in uh, very fortunate to be on this trip in India, um, in Varanasi, listening to this amazing speaker talk about, you know, where the world is going and what's mm-hmm. happening and, and feel so like helpless and lost a little bit in the context of what was going on. This is all like very pre pandemic. So let's not forget that there was some weird stuff going on before the pandemic even hit. And it just so happened at the end of that talk, after your mind is completely blown, we walked out and right on the banks of the Ganges River, there was this huge concert that had been set up. And so everybody that was at the event just started dancing and wow. we're dancing and laughing and having an amazing time with each other. And right before we had gone out the doors, because I was there kind of in a work capacity, I asked some of the participants, I was like, this was an incredible experience. How do you guys integrate or in or internalize what we talked about? Because it's such a big topic. And at the end of that night, at the last song, after we were all sweating profusely from dancing over and over through these this like hour-long concert, one of the guys that was there turned to me and was like, that's exactly what you do with it. Yep. You dance it out. Yep. So I just want everyone to remember this dance like nobody's watching. I know it's it's like this thing that's been around for a long time, but it really is 
an yeah. important part of how we move through the time we have here on earth. And, and thank you, Jennifer, for inspiring this whole conversation and inspiring thank so you. many people. And uh, I hope the next time I'm in California that there's a class that I can sneak yes. into. Come join and come me. And check it out because I would definitely love to do that. And anyone else who's curious, thejenniferlove.com. Yep. Check it out. Head over there, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. On Thanks for listening to the Step Into Your Spiritual Spotlight podcast with me, the Mooniverse, and another spiritual entrepreneur that's making a big difference in the world. To find out more, visit www.themooniverse.com. That's T-H-E-M-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.com. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.